Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada's Auditor General says this country was not as prepared to face the pandemic as it should have been. If there is one overall lesson to learn from this pandemic, it's that government departments need to take action to resolve long-standing issues and to see the value in being better prepared for a rainy day. Jason Kenney announces a plan that could see Alberta fully reopened by July. If you don't like the current restrictions and who does, the best thing you can do to end them is to get vaccinated. It will help to keep you and your loved ones safe and we'll stick it to COVID so we can all get our freedoms back fully. And Canada announces some celestial plans. Within the next five years, Canada plans to land a lunar rover on the moon. That's the big news today. And this is a great example of the level of ambition we are capable of as Canadians. It's Thursday, May 27th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us today. Morning, Mark. The Auditor General has said that Canada wasn't prepared, was not as prepared as it should have been, didn't have the protective equipment and other resources in place to face the pandemic, and we should have been more prepared. What do you take away from that report? Well, I don't think Canada was alone. I mean, it was interesting that uh, in the UK, uh, Boris Johnson's former advisor, Dominic Cummings, was before parliamentary committees. And, uh, you know, a scathing uh, indictment of the of the, the Johnson government, he said that um, the, gov- the government there was slow and chaotic in its initial response to COVID. The Auditor General's report, I mean, she's already looked at many of the, the aspects uh, of our COVID response was complimentary about some of them, such as the the, the response to uh, uh, income replacement, the SERB, and other and the and the and the income uh, subsidy for for businesses. You know, I think the bureaucracy uh, performed pretty well when it came to those things, things that were within its control. But when it came to early warning systems, and in this case, her latest report, PPE supplies, it found that you know decades-old problems had not been fixed. You know, not not a great surprise. I, I spoke to a, a, a very senior emergency management uh, public servant last month, and he said, you know, Canada is superficially equipped to handle major incidents. It has emergency legislation, federal policies on emergency management. It, it requires departments to identify risks, create plans. In theory, we had a stockpile of emergency equipment. It was only when people, when the emergency hit and people went looking for it, we found that it was either out of date or it was deficient, uh, unusable. We then had to work around that problem by, you know, while every person, every government in the world was looking for face masks and gowns and all and gloves and all the other stuff, and we managed to scramble to get that stuff together. But you know, we have, I think, we've got a false sense of security in this country about how prepared we are for for any emergency. Just because the plan exists, it doesn't mean that we can act, enact it. And, and um, you know, this, this individual was telling me that the government operations centre, the hub of their activities, when an emergency hit, there was a filing cabinet there where all these emergency plans were held. But when it actually, when the emergency hit, they turned out to be completely useless. And I think what is going to be required at the end of all this is a real public inquiry into how we responded. And I think that what the Auditor-General is pointing out is the tip of the iceberg as far as 
candidates' unpreparedness rather than this preparedness. Just quickly on that, uh, John, is is one of the issues here the fact that there there isn't really any political upside in being prepared for a crisis or preventing a crisis because if it doesn't happen, uh, there's there's no reward in that. Yeah, I think that, that's that's exactly right. I mean, uh, but you know, we've had a crisis. We've we've it turns out we were unprepared, and so what happens next time? I mean, I think that that. Um, you know, from an earthquake to uh, to a recurring pandemic, uh, we have we have to do better, and I think that that's what uh, a public inquiry will be will have to point out. I mean, the problem, of course, is that we had SARS, we had H1N1, we had lessons learned exercises, and they just were not enacted. I just think, by nature, humans are are uh, slightly complacent and think it can't happen here; it can't happen again. All right, let's talk about where we stand with the pandemic right now. Uh, there are provinces, including Alberta, that are talking about a uh, plan to completely reopen, lifting almost all of their restrictions in Alberta, for example, by late June. Um, what's your sense of, uh, I know it's playing out differently in different provinces. There's a there's more of a crisis in Manitoba right now, but what's your sense of of how uh, in many places the declining number of infections and the rising number of vaccinations uh, is is affecting the timetable for reopening well we're doing okay when it comes to first doses I mean that's what this was going to be a one dose summer as Justin Trudeau said and we are we are at uh, we're over 50 percent of of uh, of adults getting a, a first dose we're only somewhere around five percent of of people being fully vaccinated, and uh, and obviously Theresa Tam, the, the chief public health officer, wants to see three quarters of people fully vaccinated before most restrictions are lifted. The political imperative uh, is is to get it open as soon as possible, and particularly in Alberta, we're seeing that uh, there's almost a rush to reopen. Um, you know, Jason Kenny wants to have pretty much everything open by mid to late June and to be able to have a, a, a full-on Calgary stampede in July. Now, it was noticeable his uh, his equivalent chief public health officer was not next to him when he revealed these plans, so it's not clear whether whether he's uh, following scientific advice with this. But, um, you know, it's clear that we're, we're seeing the uh, infections decline. I mean, it's, we're still seeing a thousand new cases and... Uh, and a good number of deaths in uh, in Ontario yesterday. I have that number somewhere, but it was you know. So it's not it's not negligible. We're still we're still seeing uh, 672 people in intensive care, for example, and nearly 500 on ventilators in Ontario alone. 23 deaths yesterday. So you know this this disease is not beaten yet, and you know God forbid we see a fourth wave. So I do think that that somewhere between what uh, Dr. Tam wants and what Jason Kenney wants. Uh, there is probably a reasonable halfway house where we 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 do uh, open up more gradually, and I think you know provinces like Quebec have been pretty good on that, and I think the Quebec model is probably a better one to follow than the, than the Alberta one. All right, let's talk about the motion the Bloc Québécois introduced yesterday in the House of Commons, uh, trying to get unanimous consent in the House. For uh, to recognize Quebec's right to unilaterally change the constitution with uh, its new language law, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former justice minister who's now an independent MP, 
was the only vote against it. Um, what do you think that says about where we stand in this whole discussion around Bill 96? Yeah, I think that's a disgrace that that, that all the, the big parties, the Conservatives, the, the Liberals and the NDP, all were happy to wave this thing through as if it's nothing. And it took an independent MP to stand up and say, no, we should have a... We should uh, be debating this. She said that uh, political partisanship and pandering have led lawmakers to abandon their core core legal norms and debate on constitutional issues. And she's quite right. Now, she has the luxury that she doesn't have to, to uh, campaign in a forthcoming election in Quebec. Obviously, Quebecers, most Francophone Quebecers, would like to see this these changes passed and unilaterally changed in, in Canada's constitution in line with the uh, uh, bill... 96, the, the Quebec language law. But Tom Mulcair is writing in McLean's today, and uh, he's got a long, long history in the uh, the language wars of with uh, Quebec and in Manitoba, where he worked as well. And he says that there's a proven way to, uh, to change constitutions. That is, you discuss, you debate, and you vote. You don't just sit on your hands when, when a separatist party calls for unanimous consent on changes which inevitably are going to affect language rights in Quebec and probably beyond. I mean, as, a, as an Anglophone in Quebec, I'm very troubled by some of the uh, the changes that are in this bill. And for, the, for um, you know, David Lametti, an Anglophone uh, Quebec Justice Minister, to say, well, it's, it's Quebec's, the inner workings of Quebec's constitution, there's nothing to see here. Let's just pass it. I think it's pretty appalling, and I, and I and I do think it should be debated. And I think it would that it that if it was debated, cracks would emerge in some of these parties. I mean, Michael Chong, for example, the Conservative Foreign Affairs critic, resigned from cabinet under Harper over the Quebecois as a nation debate uh, motion that was passed in 2006. I think there is room for to, to debate this and vote on this, and, and and that may well happen because the bloc has said it will use its opposition day motion come back and talk about this at some point before we break for the, for the summer. All right, finally, John, just quickly as we wrap up, uh, the Canadian Space Agency and Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne announced yesterday that Canada plans to put a rover on the moon in the next five years. Um, we've, we've never sent a Canadian to the moon, of course. Uh, but what do you think about this announcement and I know a few people have commented on the timing of it. it it's it's ambitious. It's potentially expensive. Um, is it, is it important that we do this kind of exploration, especially at a time when uh, we've been spending a lot of money on other things? Well, I think the uh, when you talk about timing, it's um, I think all politicians see themselves as JFK, Justin Trudeau in particular, uh, probably uh, Francois Philippe Champagne too. Um, you know, a moonshot is uh, ambitious. It's what politicians like to be identified with. If you remember, uh, Justin Trudeau first announced this right in the middle of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. So it's a distraction from the sort of more mundane and uh, a deflection away from the from potentially bad news. Um, Champagne's now announcing this prior to what we think might be a, a fall election. So it's great for politicians for the space agency, it, it allows them to showcase technologies from Canadian companies. Um, if it works, obviously, I think the money's already been um, been earmarked by the government within the budget. I think so. 
all round, great for the for the governing party. Nice thing to be associated with. I don't suppose I've got any great objections. I just think that people should be aware that uh, that politicians like to be associated with these kind of grand schemes. Yeah. All right, great stuff, John. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That's John Iveson of the National Post. If I know one thing, it's that Albertans never back down from a challenge. We've proven that time and time again over the past tough year. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Graham Thompson argues Jason Kenney's political survival depends on delivering the best summer ever. Kenney writes, According to an inventive new index released this week, Alberta has had the most miserable time during the pandemic. So it's no surprise Premier Jason Kenney jumped at the chance Wednesday morning to headline his summer reopening news conference with a message of hope. He will be hoping to leave the darkest of political days behind him, too. Kenny's survival, both as UCP leader in the short term and as premier in the long term, depends on the province extricating itself from the pandemic. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues there's one big risk in the federal government's plans for more jobs and better pay for Canadians. Schofield writes, The liberal dream for the pandemic recovery is a job market where absolutely everyone has meaningful work, paid well enough to make ends meet. It's a big dream for inclusive growth, putting good wages and labor participation on par with economic expansion as top priorities. But it comes with a big risk in the form of inflation and everything that means for a rising cost of living and the eroding value of money. At National Newswatch, K.W. Grafton asks... How are we to reconcile the apparent contradictions when it comes to the vaccine message? Grafton writes, Why, for instance, is the Liberal government buying more AstraZeneca vaccines, despite the fact that some provinces and other countries have halted use of it due to the health risks? Why is Chief Public Health Officer Theresa Tam planning on mixing and matching vaccine types in view of the increase in severity of reactions reported? Unfortunately for Canadians, Pandemic policy has been driven largely by politics instead of science. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Industry Committee continues its hearings today into what kind of recovery Canada should be aiming for as we shake off the grips of the pandemic. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, MPs on the committee will hear today from the high-profile former governor of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England. Mark, Mark Carney has left his position as the governor of the Bank of England and he's come back to Canada and he'll be appearing before the industry committee as the vice chair of Brookfield Asset Management Incorporated. That's an alternate investment firm specializing in real estate and renewable energies. The industry committee has been hearing from dozens of witnesses over the past few months giving their advice on what the Canadian government should be looking at in terms of strategies to pull out of the pandemic-fueled recession. Mark Carney is now the author of the best-selling book called Values, Building a Better World for All. And he's become one of the more prominent gurus for the idea of building back better, which in his view, as he will tell the committee, is trying to focus on a values-based renewal and environmentally sustainable economy. But of course, Carney is now also a declared capital L liberal after having come out of the closet, so to speak, at the last Liberal convention. And he's widely expected to run for the Liberals in the next federal election. So it should be interesting to see his message and the dynamics on the committee. 
Gone are the days of the neutrality of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England governor. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will deliver a formal apology in the House of Commons for the internment of Italian Canadians during the Second World War. He will later be joined by Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan to make an announcement and speak at a news conference. This evening, the Prime Minister will take part in a virtual reception to mark the formal apology in the House of Commons. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend question period. She will also appear at the Standing Senate Committee on National Finance. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will deliver a response to the ministerial statement on the treatment of Italian Canadians during World War II. He will also attend question period. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will take part in an event announcing funding for the Prince George Nechaco Aboriginal Employment and Training Association. Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan will announce funding to promote tourism in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. She will also make a virtual announcement regarding COVID-19 response infrastructure for Nova Scotia hospitals and long-term care facilities. Middle-class prosperity minister Mona Fortier will announce funding to support the growth of Touvert, a business in Quebec. The Minister for Women, Mariam Monsef, will make a virtual announcement in Peterborough, Ontario. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will join in a virtual roundtable discussion with Canadian cleantech CEOs and entrepreneurs. And the Special Representative for the Prairies, Jim Carr, will announce youth employment and skills strategy funding for projects that will help youth with autism spectrum disorder overcome barriers in the digital economy. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, May 27th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.